My name is Rob Auchincloss, and this is the Holocene Podcast, where we seek knowledge from the most creative, adventurous, and bright among us. These individuals are storytellers, entrepreneurs, athletes, designers, and everything else in between, especially sometimes artists like today. It is my job as the host to take what they have each learned in their own lives and codify their knowledge so that you can use their lessons in your own life. Today's episode is sponsored by the Holocene Magazine. Our second issue is coming out very soon, but in the meantime, you can still order issue one on our site and use code podcast to receive 15% off at checkout. I highly recommend you do, as we have received lots and lots of amazing feedback and incredible stories of how people have already used the first one to their benefit. So I recommend you all give it a look. But today, I am joined by Peppa. Peppa is an Australian artist, surfer, and traveler based in Central America. She has over 20 years of international experience creating digital analog art and has done, and this is true because she says it in the actual recording, she is on her 311th mural in, I believe this is her 10th country. Um, Peppa chose a life less ordinary in pursuit of her creative passion and her artwork is both inspired by and the result of her nomadic surfer lifestyle. And I believe that her art is, and she even says this herself, an, an, a, a beautiful example of what one can create if they really stay true to themselves and explore the world and really bring in a lot of beautiful ideologies and cultures and beliefs. And in this conversation, we talk about everything from daily routines to the nitty gritty technical pieces of art creation and up to trauma and building lives and happy, healthy relationships. And it was such an amazing conversation that I really hope you all get something out of it like I did. So without further ado, here's the conversation between myself and Peppa. Life is either an incredible adventure or it's nothing at all. Peppa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Of course. The first question I start off every single show by asking is, what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Ooh. <laughs> the first thing I think about in the morning when I wake up. Um... I don't know. I'll have to wake up tomorrow morning and let you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's actually the first time I've ever got that answer. So I, I appreciate that. Um, so do, do you think that's because you, you seem to be someone who lives very much in the moment, like in the present and the now and doesn't focus too much on what's coming next, but also doesn't like belabor the past. Is that, is that accurate? Yes, Absolutely. Uh, I like to be present. I like to live in the present. Uh, I don't like to dwell too much in the past and try not to spend too much time thinking too far ahead in the future either. So I guess that's kind of the answer to your question. It's like when I wake up in the morning, um, it's it's never going to be the same morning. It's always mm. going to be something new, something different. Where am I going to be today? What am I going to be doing? Um, yeah. <laughs> And, and do you have any like things or rituals that you like to go through? Maybe it's around coffee or tea or journaling or meditation, anything you like to do in the morning? Yeah, absolutely. I do have a morning routine uh, that I um, follow no matter where I am. 
Uh, I actually just recently gave up coffee, though. I haven't drunk coffee for over a month. Proud of uh, you. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, it was it was a little difficult for the first couple of days. I got some um, some pretty crazy headaches from the caffeine withdrawals. But since then, I've kind of just switched over to some some different um, drinks in the morning. I realized I enjoyed the ritual of coffee, and I like having mm. something warm to drink, but it was really pretty easy to stop drinking it. Um, so I've kind of replaced it with golden milk and tea and hot chocolate mm. and things like that. Um, but no, I definitely, to get back to your question, I definitely have my morning routine, and it's, um, it's something that definitely keeps me grounded, especially because I'm, I'm traveling so much. Uh, I read a passage every morning uh, from my like favorite book, which is called 365 Dao by Deng Ming Dao. And it's a book of daily meditations based on Taoist philosophy. Uh, and there's one for each day of the year. So depending on what day it is, I, I read that little passage. And that's definitely something to, to think about for the morning and sets an intention for the day. And then thinking around that, I um, I always journal in the morning as well. Um, I try to follow uh, the journaling techniques of just uh, like a stream of consciousness. I try not to think mm. too much about what I'm writing and just kind of put pen to paper and and just let whatever flows out flow out. Um, so those that. two are like a huge part of my morning routine. And then depending on um, you know how I'm feeling, I sometimes pull tarot cards as well just to kind of fine tune my intuition and if I've mm. got questions about like what, you know, the passage from the Tao or what came up in my journaling, just kind of those, those three things are kind of a nice combination start to my day. And then yeah. where I am, I usually start my day by surfing. I'm definitely mm. a morning surfer. <laughs> so there, there are a few things to break down there and I want to go through each of them. We'll go in logical order based on when you mention them. So, so caffeine, you know, I, mm. I'm actually someone who I haven't consumed caffeine now in about Almost five, almost almost five years since I gave up caffeine completely oh. uh, and coffee. Um, so, so when you say that, like I, I, I tell you, like I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, but what, what prompted that decision? Because that's like such a large, uh, it's such a large lifestyle change for a lot of people that give it a try. So, like, what, what kind of uh, inspired you to give it a shot? Well, I'm actually I'm traveling right now, uh, and I don't know if it's because I'm in a new place in a new situation, but I actually gave up alcohol at the same time. Mm. So I haven't drunk alcohol or coffee for yeah, over a month. And it's just, for me, I'm just in a place where I want to take a little bit better care of my physical self. Um, mm. I'm yeah, definitely eliminating the alcohol and caffeine is kind of instrumental in doing that. Just focusing more on hydration, drinking a lot more water. Uh, and I'm just personally, I'm, I had, a situation uh, where I had a horrible, like over-processing bleaching situation with my hair and mm. it like, completely fried and all fell out. So I'm just wow. really focused. Yeah. I'm just really focusing on um, nurturing like my physical body and really focusing on growing my hair back out. And just in the research that I was doing and the reading, it's, you know, obviously you can put things externally on your hair, but it really starts from within taking care of your body from yeah. inside. And so that's when I thought, you know, I'm going to start eliminating some of these things from my life, um, you know, focus on hydration, drinking a lot more water and just seeing how that makes me feel overall and how that you know, is going to help me um, with you know, my focus on like growing my hair back out. And honestly, the results have been, you know, I'm only a month in, I'm, I'm still kind of baby steps, but I feel really good. It's been a really positive change. Amazing. Um, so... 
so I was going to ask, like, how do you feel beyond that? Like I, I for me, whenever I, I gave caffeine, like most of my daily anxiety kind of evaporated. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then, you know, with alcohol, like I go back and forth, like I'm a, I think it's the French blood in me. Like I love wine. I love champagne. And like, I could give up most alcohol, but wine would be very hard for me, but I can also go a long time without drinking it. I just, I, I, the idea of removing completely, but I know what you're saying. I think that like, if, if anyone listening hasn't taken time away from alcohol, like it's like probably you don't really feel till day five or six where you just feel kind of almost like a superhuman. If you were someone like me who like drank every day for a long time, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, uh, do, do you do you feel similar to that, or how, what's your kind um, of own? I was kind of winding down how much I was drinking for probably six months previous to stopping altogether, um, mm-hmm. and it was again, I, again, it was just like trying to focus on taking better care of myself from the inside and how that was going to reflect out. And yeah. I was just noticing that I wasn't drinking that much, but when I was, I would wake up the next day just with this insufferable hangover. And I'm talking like mm. one glass of wine with dinner and like a nice glass of wine with a nice dinner and a nice place, great conversation with friends, not, not, not partying, anything like that. And just the next day I would feel awful. And this was happening on a kind of consistent basis, like each time I was drinking and I was like, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older. There could be like all kinds of factors, but I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to stop doing this for a little while and see how it goes. But coming to Europe... <laughs> It probably wasn't the best time to choose because obviously like I'm currently, I'm in Portugal. I'm about to go to, I'm about to fly to Porto. I'm going to mm-hmm. be in the Euro region, whereas, you know, some fantastic wines are and everyone's like, you're crazy giving up wine going yeah. to Europe. But <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, as I said, it's been a month and I honestly, I haven't missed it. And I, I don't wake up in the morning with, you know, not feeling great. So hmm. that, that's, that's kind of a win. That's, that's f- fantastic. And I, I, I've been, I, I think it's a common theme recently, like people that I've been talking to that are either trying to improve themselves or are big about human kind of performance, uh, or just feeling better, just, just like mm-hmm. thinking more clearly, feeling better. Most of them have given up alcohol or have considerably limited the amount they've been drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's becoming more and more mainstream where like 20 years ago, it was kind of unheard of, but nowadays I think alcohol is quickly becoming almost out of style you know, um, in certain circles. Right. Yeah. Um, again, it just also comes back to, it's just for me, it's like a, a, I'm just moving into a different stage of my life as well. Like I'm 42. I'm, I'm in my forties now. I consider like I'm middle-aged and I can't Mm -hmm. like live and do the things to my physical body that I could do when I was 20, not even when I was 30. And so I think it's just this like holistic approach to just, as I keep saying, like taking better care of myself, and just eliminating these things that, you know, at this point in my life aren't really doing me much of a service um, and just focusing on the things that do make me feel good. Um, and it's been like a, a kind of a no-brainer, like, change for me. And the results, like, for me, as I said, it's only been a month. <laughs> but uh, so far, it's been great. I love that. Um, you mentioned Taoism. Um, mm-hmm. What got you into that um I wouldn't call it school of thought, but what, what got you into that way of being or that, that, that belief system? Uh-huh. So I am a huge fan of Dr. Wayne Dyer. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. Mm. Uh, he is um, 
I don't know, I even know how to describe what he does, but he's definitely in the self-help um, realm. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I just have always loved his approach towards it because he just seems very, um, obviously he's extremely intelligent, extremely self-actualized um, and on the self-help, like everything he says, I, I love it. But he, the way he presents it, the way he, uh, like he speaks, the way he writes, it's very digestible. It's just as if you're having a conversation with somebody that you know. Um, and he actually wrote a book called um, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life, which he mm. wrote after reading um, the Tao Te Ching. And then he wrote um, his own interpretations of um, each of the passages. Um, so this was probably around like, I'd say around 15 years ago when I first started kind of dabbling in the self-help world. And I'd been I'd read some of his books previous to that, and I'd listened to some of his um, audio books and other things like that. And then I just kind of stumbled into this one, and it just really resonated with me. Um, and I'm not a religious person, um, but I definitely believe mm. you know the benefits of having a spiritual practice. And of, of all of them, um, the Tao just just resonates most with me. I, it's, it's a, it's an area which I want to spend more time. Um, I've spent most of my time reading the past few years, um, outside of like the normal reading in stoicism, uh, mm. a lot of Seneca, um, but only because I just struggled with significant anxiety for so long that, you know, just building the system of letting things happen versus like mm. anticipating them or waiting for them to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a couple of books like that, but but just just for anyone listening that hasn't, this, this is your first time listening to the, the Holocene podcast, um, I link everything mentioned below in the show notes. So everything that Pep has mentioned so far in terms of people and books, they'll be linked below. So don't have to worry about pausing and looking it up. They're all there waiting for you. Um, sorry for that little aside, but I, was was that book gifted to you or did you just randomly come across it? Or like what, what got you onto that, that first like... Um, kind of discovery uh the wayne dyer book about yes. the yeah i i was already um like a fan of his i stumbled uh, the first book of his that i came across was um oh what's it called uh your erroneous zones uh and that was one that he wrote like back in the 70s and wow. again I, I read it i picked it up i randomly found it in a um uh, I, oh, I remember where I found it. it was on the 101 in Lucadia when I was living there. And it was in this really cool, like funky, uh, like vintage store that had clothes and records and furniture. And it was, it was a really, really cool space. And I picked up this mm. book because I didn't know who he was. I didn't know anything about it, but it, it, something just told me to grab this book. And I did. And I read it cover to cover. It was just the way, as I said, like the way it was written, the way he presented the language, everything. I was like, wow because prior to that I'd always thought that so I had this weird like oh my gosh self-help that's a bit like woo for me but (laughs) when I discovered Wayne Dyer he presented it in a way that was like as I said it was it just resonated with me so that was the first book of his that I got into and then I got into more and more and more after that and then yeah just in my like research of his library is when I came across this one like change your thoughts change your life and it's specifically about Taoism and his interpretation of it. So for me, having being introduced to, you know, an ancient Chinese philosophy by somebody 
um, you know, obviously with a Western mentality, but who had like a spiritual uh, practice that I was already familiar with, it was kind of the perfect introduction um, into this philosophy, this way of life, whatever you want to call it. And yeah. I haven't looked back. I, um, I I love it. It's actually when you said, what do I like to, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I do think about, you know, reading my book, like what's today's mm. chapter going to be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, that is exciting. And I, I was just taking a brief kind of glance through the 365 DAO you mentioned. And what I like about it is that there's a pretty popular, uh, similar book on stoicism. Um, I forget what it's called. I'll look it up because like quickly in my reading now, it's the Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. And he has it broken down into like individual days. Like there's one for like August 22nd and August 23rd, which is nice. But the problem is like, it's, it's not in, it's in like, it's meant to be started on Jan one, which is great. But like if someone today decided they wanted to change themselves, I like this three, six, five, DAO kind of perspective because it, it it is like it's one two three four so basically you can like start your journey wherever you want to which I think is a bit more applicable to everyone right um, yeah well you can read it in any way you want you, it is actually yeah. intended for um, the days of the year but it also mm. depends on which hemisphere you're in because obviously Taoism is um, very connected to nature the cycles mm -hmm. of nature and seasons. Um, so depending on which hemisphere you're in, whether, you know, it's going to be winter or summer, um, the, the way the book is, you know, is numbered and the way that that flows through the months of the year, um, there's any, you can read it any way you want. You can read it from start to finish. You can pick up the book and, you know, any day, just open it to a page and read it whenever you want. I mean, you could yeah. read it to cover to cover if you want. There's no, it's like, it's reading. There is no way you have to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, but. It's interesting you mentioned Stoicism, actually. I was having a conversation with someone about it, and there are I don't know too much about it myself. It's not something I've studied personally. But apparently there are a lot of similarities in that philosophy and Taoism. Mm. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't spent enough time in Taoism to be able to to confirm or deny. But mm -hmm. basically, like, you know, some people will say that stoicism is all about like not showing emotion. And I just, I just don't, I, I, I don't believe that in my, in my personal definition of stoicism is basically becoming comfortable with a lack of anticipation for things to happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. There's this idea of anything can happen and you have the mental tools and framework set up that you're prepared to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like you're, you're able, you know, that it basically, you know, focus on the things you can control, like our thoughts, emotions, uh, emotions and actions while accepting that, like, we cannot always control everything. Right. Mm. I think that's the basis of stoicism in my mind. Yeah. Except like radical acceptance, right. And yeah. flowing with what is, instead of trying to force something that is not. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. 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 I think, I think that, you know, um, one of my favorite books um, I've read the past few years is a book called Principles by Ray Dalio. Mm -hmm. And Ray Dalio is a very famous, um, if, if for people that are listening, I don't know, very famous uh, venture capitalist and private equity. And he's just a very successful investor. Um, and he wrote this book called Principles, which essentially lays out like all his beliefs about how to work with other people and how to build your own life and how he uses meditation to solve a lot of his problems. And it's just very fascinating how like one of the, you know, objectively successful people in the world is able to like build their system. But he has this 
tenant called radical transparency, which he uses like with everyone around him. And it's like the baseline for his entire office for everyone that works for him, the hundreds and hundreds of people that do where like everyone is almost required to be as just brutally transparent as possible at all points in time. And they, you know, are saved from so much common office drama and BS because people are just relaxed and like Mm -hmm. open. Right. And I think openness is everything. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Do you, um, besides, besides reading about Tao and Taoism, do you, do you enjoy reading other things or like other areas of interest when it comes to books or? Uh, yeah, I, I love to read. Um, I, I actually prefer reading than, uh, watching. I mean, I enjoy watching films and, and, um, mm-hmm. documentaries and things like that. But if I had to choose, I would choose to read. And I've always been that way. Like I've always been a nerd. Uh, when mm-hmm. I was younger, I was always in the library. I was reading everything that I could get my hands on. Uh, I've just always, I've loved, always loved reading and writing. I think it's a huge part of being a creative person, uh, especially mm-hmm. sort of someone that's also tended more towards being an introvert. Once you, you can just pick up a book and just kind of get lost in that world. And Absolutely. Um, you can take a book with you anywhere and just, you know, find somewhere and just be by yourself and you, you know, entertain yourself, educate yourself, whatever it is, sort of disappear into a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually reading right now um, The Fifth Agreement. I read the, mm-hmm. I, I, the Four Agreements has been in my library since I can remember, and it's such a great, handy, little, easy read that you, it's one of those ones that you kind of come back to like every mm-hmm. year or a couple of years or so. It's always there. And I, I recently discovered The Fifth Agreement. I didn't even know that it was available. Um, so I'm, I'm reading that right now. That's a ni- mm. another nice little sort of, just because I knew I was traveling, it was a good one just to kind of put in my carry-on. And yeah. just to have a book, you know, when you travel a lot, it's just always nice to have a book if you're, you know, waiting in between flights or you're waiting for a, a, a transport or something. It's just great to have a book around. So that's one that mm-hmm. I'm reading right now. And then I have another one that I've wanted to read for a little while lined up for next is um, called, it's uh, Ikigai, I think is, I'm not, I yeah. wrote it. Yeah, I don't Forest speak, bathing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't speak Japanese, so sorry if I just butchered that language. No, that's correct. Ikigai is, uh, <laughs> is correct. You nailed it. Um, yeah, I know the concept. I've, uh, I've, I've seen it, but I'm actually really interested to read the book. So... In general, if I mean, like I said, I love to read, but I definitely like the the educational aspect of reading. Um, and Absolutely. Yeah, and definitely like self help, self actualization is definitely a topic mm-hmm. that I always enjoy. And when I'm not reading, I love audio books, especially when I'm painting. Um, a lot of the times, I obviously I love listening to music, but sometimes you kind of get sick of listening to music, especially if you're on a wall totally. painting for hours and hours on end. And for me, I, I, I love listening to an audio book. Um, just as, I, as I'm working, it's just for me, I feel like it's a win-win. I'm creating, but I'm also educating myself at the same time. So yeah. Yeah, whether it's reading or listening, yeah, huge fan. <laughs> yeah, the, all, all those things. And, and, and it sounds like you're someone who really kind of takes on this belief that, uh, that I think I have and a lot of people on this podcast who have been on here share, which is this, that, you know, we're all mortal beings that can improve at any point in time in a variety of areas, right? And it's kind of on us to keep improving and doing better. 
Um, oh, and, and I, I think that, you know, like I, my first foray into self-help books was, uh, Tim Ferriss's the four hour work week, um, which is kind of like the first, I, you know, it was almost like the permissionless apprentice I needed to be able to like actually follow through and start, you know, go off my own and stop working for other people and follow my passion and do my own thing. And then from there, I basically went down the same path of reading all these other books. And I think that there's such a weird stigma in modern society against those words self-help, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that it's like, it's all most of the kind of books I want to read. Like I, I love reading a good novel or a good mystery or, you know, that, but most of the time I'm reading books about the human physiology, like psychology or sleep or nutrition, or I'm reading something about becoming like, I love personal stories that are combined with the lessons they've learned about Mm. about living a better life in like a self-help kind of way. Because you think about it, like a book is, could be, you know, someone's entire life of thinking condensed down to something that you can easily compared to like the span of your entire life, consume and learn from, right? And that's a pretty incredible thing, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and yeah, you never stop working on yourself, you know? I mean, no. I, as a human, like the human condition is a is a pretty fascinating thing. And as, you know, you move through your life, as you said, you, you, we realize that we are, we are mortals. Nobody's mm-hmm. perfect. We all make mistakes. And the work, which is, you know, working on yourself, actualizing yourself, becoming, you know, the best version of yourself that you can be, doing your best, all of those things, that's not something that you just wake up one day and like, all right, I'm done. I'm, <laughs> my, my human experience is over. Like, it's, it's yeah. never going to be so happen. boring. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um, you'd be like a, a clone or like a drone or something, something lifeless and like the Matrix, yeah. right? You just kind of living in a yeah. simulation. No, and I don't ever want to stop learning. Like I think being curious and asking questions, and I think that's also one of the reasons that I love traveling so much because I I don't ever want to lose that curiosity. I don't ever want to stop like learning new things, going different places, asking questions, seeing things that aren't, you know, quote unquote normal to me. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, I think, yeah, learning and yeah, reading is obviously a huge part of that. It's not something Absolutely. I ever want to stop doing. Um, before we dive deep into travel, which is something that you and I really talk about for a very long time, um, mm-hmm. I, I just want to give the audience a sense of the type of work that you do and what you spend most of your time doing. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna kind of have you expand on that through a simple question, which is how would you describe the work you do now to your eight-year-old self? I'm just trying to think back to my eight-year-old self because that was a very long time ago. Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, I think that what I'm doing now, uh, I think my eight-year-old self would be extremely stoked to know that that's what she's doing in the future. Mm. Um, I've, yeah, I've always been creative. I've always been an artist. I've always been lost in my own world of creativity, painting, drawing reading, writing, whatever it is, creative expression. And I feel that very fortunate that, you know, the dreams, the dream life of an eight-year-old is, you know, the life that I'm, you know, living now. I'm, yeah, yeah, I I get to travel the world. Uh, People commission me to create beautiful art in their beautiful spaces. And I get to collaborate with them during that process. And it just, yeah. Yeah, it's um yeah, living a 
inspired life that's full of creativity. And I like to say, yeah, I, I just want to curate a life that is a work of art and I want to inspire other people to do that too. Hmm. So you're currently right now in the Azores, right? You're, you're mm -hmm. working on or just finished a mural. Um, mm -hmm. How do you go about getting these clients or discovering these opportunities? Like what, what does that process look like? Uh, well, I'm actually at a point now that most of these opportunities and a lot of these people are finding me. Um, and that that's kind of goes back a lot too into the flow instead of force and just mm. being with what is and just allowing things to come to me. Um, this particular client commissioned me like over a year ago and we've been talking about this project for that amount of time. Um, she had a pretty specific vision for, for her place and mm. obviously because I, I'm not, I don't live in this part of the world, there was logistics that we had to figure out. Uh, also, because this part of the world has pretty unpredictable weather, <laughs> as I've experienced since I've been here, and the mural that I painted was exterior, there was a mm. lot of factors that we had to consider. Um, but uh, yeah, we actually connected via Instagram, which is mm. uh, a huge tool for, for me and my business. I think as for anybody that is a visual artist, anyone that creates something visually, it's such a wonderful platform that you can use mm. to share your work with, with, with anybody, whether it's with other artists, with people that um, see your work and love it, with potential clients, with friends and family. Like it's just such a, a great way to, to share your work and to network with others. So mm. um, yeah, that's how she contacted me. That's how we um, became acquainted. And yeah, now I'm here and I've just um, finished up the mural that we've been planning for over a year. That's amazing. Um, what in, in that can kind of walk me through your your process, right? So when when you get on location, uh, obviously, like you just mentioned, there are a couple different variables. Uh, weather, I know, is a huge one, especially if, especially if it's an exterior mural. Um, size or different things, but like, what do you have a certain creative process that you follow, or do you let it kind of come to you each time? What does that look like? Uh, it really, because I do work as a commission artist, which means people commission me to create for them. So they have a vision, they have a specific project, they have a goal in mind, and they've chosen me as the person to execute it creatively. So I listen very, very carefully to them so that I can understand exactly what they want and then yeah, execute it in you know art mural form. It can be difficult to explain um, visual art uh, in, in spoken word. So I try my best to interpret everything that the, the client tells me uh, into very, very detailed sketches uh, that include um, mock-ups of how the artwork is going to look on the wall. I always get photographs of the wall before I've painted it. And then mm. during my sketching process, um, I then digitize the work and then superimpose, like lay it over the top of the photograph. So the client cool. can actually see how the mural is going to look before I paint it. Uh, and then we also, we choose the color palette um, and that gets applied as well. So I, I try to be as thorough as possible and as visually um, concise or clear with my client about what I'm mm. going to do, how I'm going to execute it. So there's no questions. And so that they feel very confident in the fact that I'm going to come in 
and you know throw paint on their wall <laughs> and make something that they're going to be happy to have in their home in their business and stare at and look at every single day which i, re- I really appreciate because i there's a lot of people that i've worked with from that are designers or they're artists that you're never really sure what you're going to get. And sometimes it's a great thing. And sometimes it's a terrible thing, you know, if you know what I mean. Um, and I think that that you seem like, as you said, something that really champions that transparency. So I, I really appreciate that. So I guess the follow-up question would be, has there been a time when there was a particularly maybe challenging client? You don't have to mention them by name uh, or where, mm-hmm. but like, and uh, in, in what, what did you do personally to ensure that like, you still were able to execute at a high level and get done when you need to get done? Uh, I think, I'm just trying to think. I, I don't, no one really springs to mind that's been, are you talking about like during the process, like as I'm like painting or like. It could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at this point, I, I ask a lot of questions. Again, this comes back to that curiosity piece, wanting Mm -hmm. to learn. Like I want to learn everything about my client and their vision before I even take them on as a client. Because for me, like compatibility is huge. And there's, if we're, if I, you know, through the process of, of, you know, asking questions, getting to know each other, understanding what the client wants, if there's any anything that comes up that I feel that that we're not going to be compatible working together, I would much rather refer that person to somebody who can perhaps suit their, you know, fulfill their needs better than I can, or just say no to the project. If I can foresee that there's going to be issues um, further Mm. along. So for me, it's all about making sure the relationship from the beginning, and again, that word transparency that you said, just being very transparent upfront about what it is that I do, uh, what my process is, uh, and then making sure that that's a match with what the client's looking for. Uh, I don't like to rush this process at all. Um, And especially because a mural, it's it's a little bit different than painting a canvas that can perhaps, Mm -hmm. you know, be picked up and taken to different locations. It can be in a gallery. Someone can buy it and take it to their house. A mural is part of a building. It's part of a home. It's it's going to it's going to be a permanent fixture in somebody's um, establishment. Yeah. And I, for me, it's very important that what I leave behind once I leave is going to bring the client you know, a lot of joy moving forward. And it's the right fit not just the artwork, but our relationship that, you know, led to the execution of the artwork. So Mm. for me, it's all about compatibility and making sure that we're going to work together, um, work together really well before we even go down the road of, of becoming like, you know, the client artist relationship. I don't know if I'm explaining that right. That's that's perfect. (laughs) So do you use that same kind of thought process, um, when, when kind of creating relationships in, in life as well, with like friends or family or um, partners or things like that, where you just try to be as transparent as possible and make sure that everyone's communicating to ensure, I guess, viability and happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of absolutely. Like ev- I'm not for everybody and that's <laughs> a great thing. Me just neither. Like, <laughs> yeah. And just like everybody's not for me and that's great. And we don't have to be besties. We don't even have to like each other. We don't have to talk to each other, but we can coexist and just agree to disagree. 
Like just because we're not a compatible fit for an art project or we're not a compatible fit for a friendship or we're not a compatible fit for a relationship, that doesn't mean we have to be enemies. Um, exactly. I, 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 yeah, so that's why for me it's so important up front to, to really be transparent about who you are, what you're doing, what you're going to bring to the table to make sure that it's going to be a win-win for both parties. Hmm. And that's true of, you know, yeah, creating art and creating life. Yeah, I love that. I just, I just yeah. love everything you said about that. Yeah. Um, so to, to kind of like, I want to kind of dive deep and get on this little rabbit hole with you about, so I, I know very little about like, so I, I think that, you know, what you do is fascinating. Um, and I don't think I've ever, you know, spent time asking, um, I don't want to call you a muralist unless like that's the word you use to describe it, but like what from like a technical aspect, like mm-hmm. what goes into your preparation and the application of, I know, I know using a special kind of paint usually, but like mm-hmm. what goes into that preparation to ensure that the mural is going to dry properly and last a long time and always look good. And, you know, what, what does that, what does that side of the prep look like? Mm-hmm. Well, it really depends. You've got like two things to consider. Is the wall going to be exterior, like outside, or is it going to be interior inside? Um, that's going to affect um, a lot of things. Uh, you have to obviously factor in uh, the weather and the climate and so forth if you're painting outdoors and you want your work to last, particularly if you're in kind of a precarious climate. Indoors, you don't have um, so many, you're not battling the elements, let's say, as much as you would be outside. Uh, regarding paint, uh, I use like the best quality paint um, that's available to me depending on where I am and mm. I buy paint that's specific to exterior or specific to interior um, all of the big paint companies have um, have both of those options for me mm. I'm just a huge advocate for like buying the best that you can afford and mm. with, when it comes to paint you absolutely should not be be skimping on that you should be buying the top of the line stuff because not only is it going to last longer not only is it better quality but also with coverage, uh, you know, the better quality paints, you might only have to, I always do a minimum of two coats of all of my mm-hmm. colors, a minimum of two. Some of them need, you know, four or maybe even five. And that's with a mm. good quality paint. If you're going to go with a lesser quality paint, you're going to, you know, have coverage issues and you're going to be spending so much more time doing multiple coats upon multiple coats uh, because, you know, you decided to go with something a little bit cheaper. When in the long run, mm-hmm. it's going to cost you more time and effort and energy and your work's not going to look as good if you're if you're just not going with the best quality. Uh, regarding prep, uh, for me, I always let my clients know that the wall that I show up to paint is just think of it like a canvas. You want mm-hmm. a prepped, clean, dry canvas for the artwork to be um, to be displayed on. And also a mural or any form of art, that's an investment. So you want to protect your investment. You want to make mm-hmm. sure that, yeah, the wall is primed, the wall is clean. Um, there's, there's, if there's no debris or anything around it. Um, you want to make sure that if it's exterior, um, you're, uh, you have to factor in, like, is it depending on where you are? Like, for example, right now where I'm at in the Azores, because the, the climate they battle with, they deal with mold and a lot of, um, just you know being outside being so close to the ocean and there's a lot of mm-hmm. storms in the winter like the 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 climate um fluctuates a lot so making sure that the wall was completely dry 
was primed, was prepped and was um, ready before I arrived was like an important part of the process. Um, it's really like anything. It's uh, the better pre prepared you are up front, the better results that you're going to have, especially long term. Mm, that's that's perfect. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, as you said, that can be applied to everything, right? Preparation mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, what is what is that saying? Um, I think it's been re re executed by many, but the luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And I think I, I deeply believe that, right? It's like yeah. people might be like, oh, you know, Peppa's lucky because it's like, no, you're just prepared. <laughs> yeah, I actually really don't like the term luck. I, I feel Me too. Like I hate it. Very, I think it can be very like dismissive as well. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you're just lucky. It's like, am I though? <laughs> like, sure. Like yeah. I, sometimes, yeah, I, I do feel like I'm very fortunate, um, but I don't know. I, I, the word luck, it's, mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that brings up a good point. I've been thinking about this recently where people, whenever someone's just like, oh, that's lucky or like, oh, you're lucky. It, it almost is like a weird backhanded compliment. It's like yeah. Yeah. people think it's coming across positively, but they, at the end of the day, they're not, it's, it's not genuine, right? It's like someone is, it's a jealousy. It's a misunderstanding, you know, and I think people said it about certain things I've worked on and things I've created, like, oh, you just got lucky with that client or, oh, you got lucky. It's like, you don't see the, you know, does hundreds and hundreds of 15 hour work days I put in to get to this point. Mm -hmm. It's like, leave me alone, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So just let, let me do my thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so something you said, which is just very, cause I, I, from, you know, from my time in design, which is mostly focused around digital design and obviously with the magazine that came out of this podcast, that was the first thing I really did that was physical, but I still like, it was still made in the digital world. Right. And then put into physical using a printer. Um, but I guess my question for you would be, like I love color theory and, and, and the application of color. And I know that a lot of your work is very colorful to painting. Mm -hmm. So to kind of go down this, this tangent, you mentioned that a couple colors need more than a few coats are wh what colors are those? Like what, what are the, what are the hardest colors to paint that require like the most amount of coats? <laughs> it's in my experience um, or in general with paint, whatever, paint color the way it's mixed right you usually you start with a mm. white base and then it's tint you know if you've ever watched the paint machine if you're at yeah like it's awesome or whatever yeah <laughs> you start yeah. with a white base and then you put the tints in um you, you watch the machine doing that um in general um it's 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 interesting the like there's really a rhyme or reason to it uh lighter colors that have like more of a a white um, like a heavier white volume, I guess you could say, tend to need less coats than darker colors, which doesn't, when you think about it, you're like, oh, that black that will only need, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's dark, it's black, I'll just need to do one coat. It's actually not true. The darker colors usually need more. And as I said, I always paint a minimum of two coats yeah. on all of my colors just for coverage and quality purposes. But some of the darker ones, if I'm getting into like darker colors, like charcoals, um, or any like especially dark greens darker blues they'll need like sometimes three or four uh mm. yellows are notoriously bad for coverage they they're gonna, <laughs> yeah like, yellow you're just putting like multiple coats of, of yellow no matter what um and yeah as i said the greens and unfortunately i used greens a lot especially in my tropicals and all of my plants and the darker greens they're they need a lot of a lot of coats as well 
Yeah. There isn't really a rhyme or reason to it. It's interesting. Yeah. The more you paint with certain colors, you're looking at it you're like, all right, this one's gonna need this one's gonna need a few. <laughs> huh. That's yeah. that is fascinating. I guess it's one thing where it just like it's it's uh uh it goes along that saying where like uh, a novice a novice spots differences and an expert spots similarities, right? Mm-hmm. Or or something like that. Where like mm-hmm. you know, I I think it's something that you'll learn over time and it's really hard to explain. I'm sure there's something to do. I'm sure there's a physical explanation from like a, how light refracts and how the pigment cures over time and different mm-hmm. things like that. But I think just from a creation standpoint, it's fascinating. Um, the, the next question is, is around like actual logistics. So, so obviously some of these murals take you weeks to paint. Um, does that ever cause like pain to be in that kind of position the entire time, like standing while painting or like, how do you, how do you cope with, you know, the strain in your body from painting for that long and, and sometimes awkward positions? Oh, it's absolutely a very physically demanding job. And I think a lot of people don't really realize that. Um, like I'm on my, if I'm on a big wall, I'm on a big mural, I'm on my feet, like for depending on how long I'm painting, like six, eight, 10 hours a day, depending on if I'm, that's the thing when I'm working, if I'm into it, I'm into it and I'm just going to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it can be very, very physically demanding, not just standing and being on your feet all day, but, you know, climbing scaffoldings, going up and down a ladder. And then it's also, you know, that's just the physical taxing, you know, that's very, very taxing, carrying pain around all those kind of things. But then the mental aspect of it as well, um, the combination of like the the mental energy that you're expending as you're, mm-hmm. you know, every step of the way, like concepting, thinking about what you're doing. I have to wash my brushes. I'm going to go on that point. That one needs a second coat. I've got to go. Like, you, your brain is just constantly working and your physical body is constantly working. So at the end of the day, I'm typically exhausted. I mean, it feels yeah. great. I love, I love feeling that way. I love feeling like, you know, I think of myself as a sponge. I love feeling like the sponge has just been wrung out. Like I feel like, especially if you're doing something that I love to do, like creating like this, I feel there's that sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. It's like, I actually really worked hard today. I worked physically Mm. hard. I'm dirty. I'm stinky. I've got pain all over me and I'm physically and mentally exhausted, but there's also a something that's very rewarding about that. Uh, But yeah, it is, it's very physically, um, exhausting it's very taxing on the body and if it's multiple days uh, by the end of the project I'm usually like completely fried uh, and need like a long hot bath and then I always treat myself to a mani-pedi because my hands are just destroyed (laughs) (laughs) I love that yeah I love it I don't get me wrong I absolutely love what Mm. I do Um, but yeah it's you, you ask anybody that paints murals like for a living it's it's a physically demanding job. Yeah. Why murals? Like what, what got you into murals? Like, wh- cause it's, it's obviously a very distinctive, um, like vertical in the art world, especially in, you know, commissioned art world. So like what, what got your taste of that? Like what, what was this like a founding story of like, you got a chance to do one mural and you kind of got hooked or what, what was it? Yeah, it, it kind of was. So I got started in murals because I was painting surfboards. Oh, cool. uh, I was, yeah, I was painting boards uh, at a surfboard factory in Costa Rica. And uh, a, one of the shapers who I was working with at the factory, a friend of his came to visit and she was an interior designer. 
and she saw my work on the boards and she was like, hey, have you ever painted murals before? And I said, no, not really. She's like, well, would you like to? I was like, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'll paint anything. Say less. Yeah, I would love to do that. She's like, right, well, I'm, I'm working on a project right now, uh, an, you know, an interior design project with a new hotel company, and I'd love your work. I think you'd be great for it. Uh, and she ended up, the company ended up being Selena, which is a, wow. yeah. yeah, it's an international chain of hostels around the world. And yeah, she hired me to work uh, my first ever mural project with, with her in La Fortuna in Costa Rica, which is at the base of the Arano volcano. And uh, I went there and I, I've told this story before, but I'll just never forget driving there never painted a mural before and my imposter syndrome was just like on my shoulder just like screaming at me like who do you think you are you've never painted a mural before you can't do this whatever but when I arrived and got to this amazing location and got started like painting these walls and I just felt like oh my gosh this is it like this is what I want to be doing and I was That's collaborating amazing. with all these other creative people. We were a very young team. There was architects, interior designers, people that made things, like the guys in the um, the workshop that made things out of wood and metal and put the furnishings together. Like there was a whole team of us, a whole team of creative people pulling these hotel projects together. And it was just such, I mean, obviously the work that I was doing, the painting that I was doing was so rewarding, but just that collaborative piece, working mm. with other creatives and building something that, you know, at the time, I don't think we realized like how big that company was going to blow up to be. It yeah. was a really, really special experience. And um, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at with my career or life or anything if I didn't have that opportunity. It really, really it, changed the, the trajectory of my life. And, and you ended up doing more work for them afterwards? Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I did. I, I ended up, I've done 14 uh, projects for Selena. Wow. Uh, it's central That's and awesome. South yeah. 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 Wow. So, um, just imagine you're, you know, driving to the first, uh, the first job site again, uh, in La Fortuna. And, um, if, if you could now like go back and give yourself a few pieces of advice walking into your first project from what you've learned since then, what, what would you, what would you tell yourself? Um, <laughs> oh, what would I tell myself? I'd probably tell myself to stop doubting myself, to believe in myself because everyone else mm. around me believed in me. Everyone else saw what I was doing and thought it was incredible and saw my potential. Um, I think, yeah, I would probably tell myself to be a little less harsh on myself. But I think as creative people, we're always going to be our own harshest critics Absolutely. Um, and I, that's something that I tell like young artists that, you know, ask me for advice. I'm like, just be, be really gentle with yourself in the beginning. Uh, you know, you're, no one wakes up in the morning and it just is like this incredibly competent, amazing, you know, mural artist. I had to start somewhere and I had to start with mural number one. Um, mm -hmm. and that, had, you know, of course, that's not where I'm at now. I'm up to number 311. Wow. So, yeah. So, but congrats. Thank you. <laughs> to get to 311, I had to start at number one. 
So yeah. I think that's that, that's probably what I would have told myself. I'm like, this is just the beginning. This is yeah. the beginning of something incredible. This is the beginning of something that's going to change your life. And just go for it. Believe in yourself. And um, just get yeah, your imposter syndrome is never going to go away, but don't listen to it. <laughs> mm. Has has anyone, so, I mean, I was about to ask if you had any long-term goals, but I want to interject before I ask that and, and just say that, like, you know, some of the things you've said, I think, are would be very, and, like, I, I'm definitely going to send this episode to a few younger artists that I know that are struggling, and and also, like, entrepreneurs or engineers or any anything that involves some level of creativity, um, regardless of how technical or artistic it is. Um, cause I think that imposter syndrome is like a huge problem and, and it honestly, the amount of people that could do great things, but they stop themselves because they think that everyone is against them when it's just themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever thought about like combining some of the works of your art and some of these thoughts into like a book or a article or, a, even a blog post, like as dumb as that sounds like, I, th- I think it'd be very impactful, mm-hmm. um, for yeah. others. Yes, I am. I'm actually working um, on on that right now. Amazing. <laughs> I, I'm putting together. Yeah, I'm definitely. I'm putting together. I don't, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to present it just yet, but it's going to be definitely a book or an ebook to start. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also like through my website, and just because I get an overwhelming number of like young creatives and artists that come to me and ask for advice and ask how I got started and what can they do and all of that. I've started offering like creativity consulting services. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So like I, I, I like the one-on-one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I really enjoy working one-on-one with people because as, you know, as artists, as humans, we're all on our own unique path and everyone's got their own story and their own journey and their own, own goals with their creativity. So I really like like that one-on-one piece um, and just, yeah, being transparent with these people, asking them a lot of questions uh, and being transparent about who I am and where I started, how I got here, you know, my struggles mm-hmm. along the way. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I definitely, as I said, like I want to inspire others to to live a life, you know, that is, yeah, inspired, it's creative. And as I keep saying, it's like I want the others to curate a life that's a work of art to define their own version of what success means to them and like carve out their path. Uh, of creativity i love that um i know i say i love that a lot but like i just i don't i don't want to i feel like i might ruin whatever you just said by adding my own thing onto it so i'm just trying to like let it just sit and exist and be what it needs to be um because i i appreciate that so i guess just like you know if any i'm sure there'd be someone listening to this that that's like is immediately jumping onto your site link right now and looking to, to book a time with you but i guess the one question i'd want to know just for anyone listening is um you know i think you know cuz cuz with my world i i i live between design and engineering right and so a lot of people i work with are very artistic very creative designers or they're even artistic creative people, but they focus on like the scientific side of that. Maybe it's through electronics or building something that flies or floats or anything like that. Um, but I meet a ton of people that are, that have beautiful creative potential, but don't believe they do, right? They Mm -hmm. don't think they're an artist. They don't think they're creative. They don't think they're anything. What, what advice would you have for them? Uh, I, my, my, my biggest piece of advice for that is that 
you really need to peel off all these layers that have been placed onto you that yeah mm. you're not you're not an artist you're not creative you're not good enough art's not a real job all of these things these these layers that have been placed on you by other people whoever that is you've got to peel all of that back and get back to who you really are at your core and what you really want to do and yeah what a successful meaningful life means to you regardless of what you've been told i mm. feel like a lot of people in like creative industries or creative people in general we've been told by so many people outside like in our like within ourselves we know that we're artists we know that we want to create we know that we will put here to, to make a meaning through meaningful difference in the world through our creativity mm. but the process of you know of life I think as kids, you really know that. Like when you're a child, you're just your most authentic self, really, because you haven't had all these layers put on top of you by the process of growing. And that's, you know, that comes from parents, that comes from siblings, teachers, mm. peers in self. school, society. Yeah. yeah, it just it just keeps getting put on, put on, put on, put on, put on. And then the more layers you have on top of yourself, the less understanding i guess you can say is of who you truly are because you're just covered by all of these layers mm -hmm. so I, I think it's really important to really go through the process to peel all of those away and get back to the core of of who you really are and mm -hmm. what your creativity means to you and how you're going to express that and do you recommend that people do that peeling through um you know, meditation or just doing more or going deep into their art or, or, or what, what do you recommend is, as the kind of. Well, for me, like journaling is, is huge. I think mm. that writing and I think the process of taking uh, the physical act of writing, like taking a pen and putting it to paper and just having that you know, stream of thought and everything that's going on in your brain and like transmuting that through your hand to the paper and getting it all down is a very, very useful tool in a lot of areas of life, but especially um, for what we're just talking about now. It's just like all that stuff that's swirling around in your brain, all of those can'ts, all of those shoulds, all of those things, like the, you know, the imposter syndrome, all of that. You, If you kind of just, just start writing, with not really with any intention, just start writing in free form whatever's in your head, that's a great way to sort of, clean the pipes as they say with that that kind of work but then if you start asking yourself some real like some serious questions around all of those blockages that you have and you know no one else is going to read this this is just you know you're not going to show anybody no one is going to ridicule kill you or nobody's going to um, oh you shouldn't have written that or whatever like just write for yourself and ask yourself you know some serious questions it's it's a very very useful tool um there's uh, a really um, amazing uh, sort of, I guess you could say, the, the woman who I kind of got all of my journaling practices from, Julia Cameron. She calls it um, morning pages, and she she has an, a really really amazing book or audio book, if that's more your thing, called The Artist's Way. Um, and I, I, if you're interested in you know that form of journaling, I, I definitely yeah. recommend uh, looking into her work. The Artist's Way. Yeah, I'll link it yeah. below. Yeah, I haven't heard of it before, but I I'm now gonna, I'm now gonna the a spiritual path <laughs> for higher creativity looks uh, too looks too yeah. higher creative. That, that sounds 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, her so yeah, just her um, um yeah, her philosophy on yeah, she calls it morning pages, which is just you know journaling. You can call it whatever you want, mm-hmm. but for me, that's one of the most beneficial tools for any you know blocked or struggling artist. Mm. And do you do you um ever like doodle or draw in that same journal or do you kind of keep the journal just for free form words yes i i have my sketchbooks for sketching and i have my journal for for journaling i keep those two quite separate some people like to combine the two i mean it's it's a very personal thing for sure um, yeah no so right or wrong really, yeah. yeah there's no right or wrong and it's very unique and um individual to yourself um, but for me i like to keep them separate hmm I, th- I think that I, it's interesting. I only ask that because I'm someone that, you know, my journal is this uh, cluster fuck really of mm-hmm. uh, ideas and drawings. And sometimes it's a product. Sometimes I'm trying to work out like the math behind something. Sometimes it's just deep feelings and thoughts or admitting guilt or, you know, an, an idea that comes across. So I, I, I like that melting pot of everything. I know some people like the separation, but I'm, I'm always curious to know, um, you know, so thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, about, about travel. So you, you, you're, you would count your home base to basically be in Costa Rica, right? That's where mm-hmm. you're like, you call home. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're now in the Azores headed to Porto and Portugal. Where, where mm-hmm. after that are you going home? Or are you going to keep traveling through Europe? Like what's, what's the path look like? No, I'm actually going to keep traveling uh, for a little while. So I'm going to go spend a, a little bit of time in Porto in Portugal. And then I'm mm-hmm. actually going to make my way south along the coast and go actually visit the interior designer that I mentioned earlier, um, who got oh, me lovely. started into murals um, and with Selena. Her name's Ingrid. And she lives in Erisida in, um, in Portugal. So I'm going to go and visit her and spend some time with her, which is going to be awesome because we, we haven't hung out in a little while. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to, um, spend some time in Portugal and then I'm going to make my way north, um, through Spain and France and I'm going to cross the, um, the Euro tunnel, uh, and and hang out in England for a little while to see, um, a very good friend of mine who lives there. So yeah, I'm going to spend the next few months traveling through Europe. Amazing. Yeah. And then I'm going to spend the last little bit of November and December in Los Angeles and then next year, January, it looks like I'm going to go back to Bocas del Toro in Panama. So, mm. yeah, Panama is that, is that a place you've been before? It sounds like yes. Um, what, I love. What it about there. Panama? Yeah, people people seem to either really love Panama or really have zero opinion on it. So I'm just curious, like, what is <laughs> what is your where does your love come from for Panama? Well, I've only been to the Caribbean side. I've only really ever spent time in Bocas del Toro, which is where I'll be going back to. And mm-hmm. I just love it. Um, I love the Caribbean. I always have. I've always had a love affair with the Caribbean. Everything about it for me is just, there's just something so magical. Um, it's going to be surf season there. So that's always a huge draw card for me. <laughs> the waves there are a lot of fun. Uh, I've got great friends there that I'm looking forward to seeing. And I've got some some mural projects uh, lined up there as well. So Whenever I travel, I always make it a mixture of, of, of work um, and mm. just traveling and meeting up with friends. Mm. Always, yeah, combine them all. And it sounds like there's a lot of nomad kind of exploring, which I, which I appreciate. So are you the kind of person like me where you'll book like 
your big flights, like the one that takes you from London back to, you know, North America, but in mm-hmm. between you'll kind of let yourself, give yourself time so you can spend more place in another, depending on what's going on. Oh, absolutely. I, I like to have a, a, a loose plan, like as you said, the start and the finish dates, but everything in mm-hmm. between, I try not to be too, obviously work, that's always penciled in, that's sure. always yeah. in like ahead of time because that needs planning and so forth. But anything around that, I try not to get too, uh, too like concrete with my plans because, you know, life happens, things happen, mm. meet people, opportunities come up. And if you're so stuck in your plan, I feel like sometimes you lose a little bit of the magic of traveling. Um, For sure. Yeah, getting lost and finding, you know, a place that perhaps you wouldn't have gone to or meeting a random person that's going somewhere that you've never heard of and then going with them or um, catching up with somebody like, oh, you need to go and see this person in this place that perhaps you wouldn't have gone to. There's absolutely a lot of magic in the unknown, especially when you're traveling. I, I agree. And I love that so much. And it's something that I'm trying to get back to. I spent, you know, pretty much up until December of last year, pretty much the better part of a year and a year, 20 months or so traveling. And it was a lot of random, but also a lot of purposeful travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my only regret was I wish I spent, I wish I went to less places and spent more time in each um, mm. cause I, some, sometimes you had that thing where you'd have a, a blast and then you couldn't, you didn't think it would get any better. And the last day you discover this thing and you're like, Oh, I wish I knew about this day one. And you're like, I wish I was yeah. here another 20 days. And you're like, Oh, I guess I have to come back. And you know, then you get distracted by other things in life and you're like, oh, I should have just, you know, figured out a way to keep, keep going. Um, mm. but I think, I think the inverse of that too, which I've learned is that there were a couple times 2021, summer when it was still like half the world was pretty locked down because of COVID. Um, the other half was like pretty open. So it was this weird dichotomy between the two. So I decided to like go pick some cities around the world and live in them. And basically mm-hmm. kind of said like, I'll go on day trips outside, but my goal is to like, just explore this city, this like smaller swath of area. And I found that like, at first I was like, Oh, I'm going to want to go different places and hop on off the trains and planes. But I realized quickly, like, learning how to assimilate into a, a new culture's way of living is a very fascinating challenge and a very rewarding experience. Even if it's something that seems yeah. very one-to-one, like I was in Paris and I luckily speak pretty good French, but um, you know, just assimilating to that, having lived in New York city for so long, like I was like, Oh, it'll be fine. Another big cosmopolitan city, but it's just so different, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and such a much, much like Paris is such a lively, beautiful place. And it's really hard to explain. Um, and there's the tourist side of Paris and there's like the Paris, Paris, mm-hmm. right? Just like New York and LA and all those other cities. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just, I just find that interesting. So in Portugal, which is a place that I think probably comes up more often than not on most episodes is like a place that people either have this incredibly strong, brilliant opinion of, or really have, zero opinion on so i'm just really curious like because i count the azores as part of portugal obviously Mm -hmm. this is your first kind of um you know foray as you said like your first real time will be in portugal and porto and and when you spend time down the coast but like what has been the draw and the allure so far um it just for me portugal's just been popping up in in life conversation whatever it is for years now, it's been number one on my um, travel 
destination list for for quite a while. So when the opportunity came up with this project, I jumped at it uh, because I, I just wanted to come here. Um, there's mm. just something telling me you need to go to Portsmouth. And every single person I know that has been is like, you're going to fall in love with it. You're going to love it. You're going to move there. So I'm yeah. really, really excited to get to the mainland for a lot of reasons. Um, mm. But I've really, really enjoyed my time here in the Azores. I knew I was going to like it, but I don't think I realized how much I was going to like it. It's mm. really it's just magical here. And yeah. out of all the traveling I've done, it's it's very, very unique. It's There's nowhere quite like it. Um, I find, obviously, I'm, I love nature. I love the ocean. I love, you know, peace and quiet. Uh, and it's got all of that. And um, it, it, again, I'm, I'm also trying to go to more places that are a little – I'm a traveler and not a tourist. Like, and as mm. you said earlier, I like that. I like to, yeah, I like to go somewhere and spend time there. I don't want to be on a schedule. I don't want to spend one night here, then get on a bus and then go there and take a photo and then get back on the bus and go here. Like, I don't like that. Yeah. Tours are the worst. Like I'll never go on a cruise or a tour or like, it just sounds so awful. Like people, people are always like, Oh, you're, you're in Paris. Do this tour. I'm like, no, my version of a tour is I'm just going to go walk around with like, you know, 50 euros in my pocket. And mm -hmm. if the food smells good, I'm going to eat it. If the place yeah. is interesting, I'm going to go inside. Like, yeah. and if the person looks fascinating, I'll talk to them. Like that's just yeah. it. Like there's nothing yeah. more, nothing less, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so, and, and you're allowed to pass in this, topic of conversation because it's been something for, for me personally, you know, so, you know, my girlfriend is on the East coast. She has a farm, which is a fantastic place to, you know, get work done. And she's starting a nonprofit there around helping animals and using those animals to help people through, you know, equine therapy and different resources, which, which is amazing. Um, there's no, but I would want to say, but this sounds like a bad thing, but, but, but for me, you know, I am this nomadic person and love exploring the most wild and crazy places. And so trying to find that balance in our relationship, because she is more of a home, she loves traveling, but she is a homebody compared to what I have aspirations to do long-term. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I guess my question is, I don't know if you have a partner currently or what that looks like, but like what have been some struggles and things you've learned and some advice you have for people that maybe are in a relationship or are looking for someone that has those same you know, aspirations or desires to just go get lost and be wild. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm currently single. That's one of my things is single and ready to flamingo. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I love my, that. My, my obsession with flamingos knows no yeah. doubt. And the cover out of this episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But no, I've been single for a while and that's largely in part to my lifestyle. Um, and because I chose to, I, around you know five six years ago like when i started this foray into murals and wanted to make it really really forge ahead and make it make it my my full-time like career i threw myself 100 percent into my work and um just didn't really have the time to invest into a relationship and mm. that you know that drive and that passion and that motivation to be you know following my creative path combined with my extremely nomadic lifestyle where I'm moving around all the time is not a good recipe for finding um, a, a, a partnership. Not that I was even particularly looking for it because, as I said, I was focused in other areas. 
but That's I great. am thinking about it now. Like as much as I love being by myself, like I'm, I'm very independent. I'm very introverted. I need a lot of alone time and I really genuinely like being by myself. Uh, I do, I am starting to feel that there are a lot of experiences in life that are better shared and it would be really, really nice to meet somebody uh, and share this this path and this journey of life mm. that I'm on. But that's the question. It's like, what does that look like? Like, mm. where is this guy? Yeah. You know, where is this guy? Like, where is he based? Like, it's, it, it, it's there's, a, there's a lot of questions. I'm 100% open to it um, mm. after having actually, you know, spent quite a bit of time being very closed off to it. But now that I'm open to it, these questions are coming up. It's like, who is he? Where is he? What does he do? What does he look like? Where does he even live? Like, where is he yeah. right now? Because that's probably not where he lives. Like, so mm. I'm open, yeah. but yeah, a, mm. a, a quote unquote normal relationship is definitely going to be something that you're going to have to sacrifice if you For want sure. to, yeah, if you want to follow yeah. a path like this. But what is normal, right? And <laughs> and I, I talk about this with my girlfriend all the time and because I was you know, we met when I was deep in the middle of this, like, I am a full-time nomad with zero plans. And she was just at the time working a job that really constrained her to a desk for 50 hours a week, uh, you know, like corporate finance in, in New York city. Um, and then, you know, we met and we, it headed off, but like, it was, there's was clear, there was some incompatibility. We just kept seeing each other casually. Um, and then like, I think we just kept growing closer and, she ended up quitting her job and uh, we ended up traveling for the better part of six months of last year together, went all over um, the world. And that was, that was really nice because it was like, you kind of created that natural thing. We both have, you know, deep career aspirations um, and also like deep aspirations for other things. And I think that, you know, like people ask me how my relationship works now because like I am either traveling or in my apartment in Seattle or at her farm. And she is at her farm mainly taking care of the animals until she can, you know, get some extra help to help her cover the basis. So she maybe can go away for one or two days here and there. Right. Um, and that's been a very interesting bounce. And it's not one that I ever thought that I would do or, or be willing to, to kind of partake in. But I think it's like, it's, it sounds cliche, but like when you, sometimes you find that person, it just works. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Um, and I think I've just been lucky in that. And I, cause I think I was open to it. And I think that you sound like you're open to it, which is the most important thing. And I will tell you, and I think you've obviously this is another cliche, but people always say like, Oh, you always find it. We'd at least expect it. But I think there's nothing more true, honestly. Um, if you're looking for it, you're not going to find it. And if you don't not looking for it, you're probably going to find it. And that's like with anything in life in terms of mm -hmm. answers or people or work or, you know, I just find that fascinating personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank well you it for comes back to what we were talking about earlier too. It's that for me, it's that compatibility piece. It's um, it's finding that person that you really are above, like above everything else. You're 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 completely compatible with, and that you can be completely transparent with, uh, and that compatibility and that transparency, that's gonna be the building block, like the foundation for you to have a relationship, no matter yet yeah, where you are, what you're doing, and as you said, like what does normal even mean? Like that word normal, it's kind of like the word lucky to me. It's like is it really lucky? Like, I don't know. Like, is it normal? Like what is normal? It's, I guess you just have to define that for yourself. So, mm. Yeah. Hmm. 
It's a very interesting way of putting it. Sorry, I'm just like I'm just thinking through this, processing it. Um, <laughs> and and because I've been trying to figure out a way for a long time to to talk about my relationship in a nuanced way with people, because some people either get it or they really don't. They're like, wait, so she has a farm and you live in a high rise in a city and you see her half the time, but you're traveling the rest of the time. Like, how does that work? I'm like, I don't know. It does. Like, don't, I don't ask questions. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, what's been necessitated is this clear idea that her and I have to, you know, be co-located soon so that when, when I'm not traveling or when she's not doing something, we're both together. And I think that's the, that's the hard part sometimes. Cause you have people that have their own aspirations and loves and desires and where they want to be. It's rare that those two places are the same. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that comes like the balance and the compromise part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is the part that I'm still trying to frick out myself. <laughs> but as long as you're transparent about it, what, what else matters? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You'll make it work. If it's going to work, it'll work. So that's amazing. Um, so just, just to kind of, you know, this has been a, an awesome time getting to know you. Um, and I think we will need like a part two of this podcast because I'd love to kind of follow up on a couple things and probably do it in person. We can find time uh, when one of us are co-located on the same continent, uh, currently not. Um, but I, I have a couple um, rapid fire questions um, that I like to end all episodes with. Um, and you can answer these questions in as few or as many words as you'd like. Um, and the first one is, is there something you believe in that most don't? Um, well, I think I believe in yeah, being yourself and following your unique path, no matter what that mm -hmm. is and how different or quote unquote unnormal that is to everybody else. Hmm. I love that. Is there a darker experience in your life that you're willing to talk about uh, and how you overcame that period? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been a lot of darkness in my life. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a human. I've been through a lot. Um, and, but I feel like, yeah, whatever you go through, no matter how terrible or hard or difficult it is in the moment, you always come out on the other side stronger. And mm -hmm. for me, I always try to see the lesson in what happened. So yeah, I've, I've definitely been through some, some very dark, dark things in my life, but um, it's made me who I am as well. And, and I appreciate how succinct that advice was because I've, I've asked that question to a lot of this is actually the, it's a question I've been wanting to put on the podcast for a while um, and kind of pushed off because I was worried about blowback or sometimes people not wanting to answer it. But I've learned that most people that I talk to are usually pretty open. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been trying to find a succinct way to talk about it myself. So I really appreciate that response because it's, it's very spot on um, mm -hmm. in terms of what I've been looking for. And I think a lot of people hopefully will find um, value from that. Cause I think that's the, that's the thing, right? It's like, you know, it's, it's only bad when you stop trying, right? Mm -hmm. When you, when you don't keep pushing through and eventually if you keep pushing, you'll, you'll get out to the side and you'll find this bliss. But I think that, you know, as, as creative people, I've learned that, you can't have these insane highs without sometimes these insane lows. And that's just kind of the balance of, of life, right? Yeah. Well, it's, that's the, the, the balance of opposites. That's the yin and the yang. That's the light and the dark. Every brightness mm -hmm. has its shadow. Um, not everything's going to be rainbows and unicorns all of the time. 
Like when the rainbows and unicorns are there, like appreciate it and love it and have a great time. But know that the antithesis of that is going to be, you know, the darkness. That's actually yeah. one of the a, a big teaching in the Tao is is yeah, understanding that there's a light and a dark and a, or a light and a shadow to everything, mm. and you know, accepting and flowing with it, and trying not to label it either as as the good or the bad. It just is. I like that a lot. And I think that, you know, I used to be someone who really avoided the darkness, but now I've just come to have it not only a deep respect for it, but almost like a deep love for it. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's weird. Like I can get in these, you know, depressive periods and it's almost very grounding, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it makes you rethink a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, is there a sound that you associate with happiness? <laughs> uh Wow, there's so many um, sounds. Uh, I like the sound here that I've noticed a lot in the Azores is just the sound of birds singing, just mm. that that silence with birds, like not, not hearing really anything else, but just the chirping of birds in nature. Uh, the sound of rain hitting the water when you're surfing, that's one of the most beautiful sounds to me. The yeah, sound of the nice. ocean in general, like I yeah. absolutely love listening to the ocean. Uh, the funny little sounds that my dog makes when he's eating <laughs> or yawning or whatever. There's there's so many. Yeah, there's so many good ones. <laughs> and when you travel, do you take the dog with you sometimes or do you leave it at home? Oh, yeah, or what no. is that? He goes with me everywhere. He's with me right now. That's so, awesome. Yeah, he's a little he's a little miniature hairless dog. Um, I mm. love animals. Everybody that knows me knows that. And I would love to have, you know, all kinds of creatures, big and small. But with my lifestyle, I need something small and portable to bring with me. So that's yeah. why I have a little miniature hairless dog. Mm, yeah. Well, that's, I think that's the big thing. Going back to what I was saying about my girlfriend and my relationship, it's like, people are like, well, why doesn't she come out to Seattle? I was like, well, she, she rescued six horses. So that's basically the reason why she can't just, <laughs> you know, cause yeah. I don't think people realize it's like dogs are pretty high maintenance creatures. Horses mm-hmm. are very high maintenance creatures. Um, and People always get amazed when I tell them like what work because I I walked in this blind like I did I never had horses growing up or like spent time with them and so I just thought it was like a pretty simple thing and it's not simple <laughs> I can tell you that um, they're very if, complex creatures that's for sure very I had a complex horse seven years um, mm. what yeah, kind of horse do you have uh, he was uh, in Costa Rica he was um, half quarter horse and half like Costa Rican criollo. Oh, wow. Um, mix. Yeah. Um, he was, oh, yeah, he was amazing. I've, I love horses. They've been a huge part of my life ever since I was a kid. So, mm. Well, so if you want to, uh, yeah, work. stop by the farm on the way <laughs> yes. between, uh, yeah, it's in, it's outside New York city. So, uh, if you ever want to stop through and, uh, uh, I say outside, it's a couple hours. It's in upstate New York, but, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's in that region. Um, yeah, it's horses are, fascinating i think one thing i learned because i had never been around them and i had a couple the only experience i had with horses as a kid I, like i had i was almost i was horse bucked when i was on one of the first time and i held on for dear life and managed not to get you know thrown off which was i was proud of at the time and then the second time like i was on a ride in utah and it saw something and got spooked and started galloping off towards a cliff and i was just like had no idea how to stop the horse right um so like my, my initial experience with the horses wasn't the most positive but since then and since spending time with my girlfriend and, and her animals, it's been um, very grounding, right? Mm-hmm. And I think something I learned is like a horse can sense a human heart rate from like 
10 feet away or something crazy like that. And so, you know, just this understanding where like at first I'd approach these animals kind of scared and anxious and they were, they're, they notice that, right. And they're going to react to the scared and anxious. But if you come in confident and with love, they'll, they'll give that right back to you. And so it's a very fascinating creature in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're incredibly healing too. They're, they're yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, so, you know, my, my girlfriend's one of her, one of Elsa is her name. One of her, uh, direct objectives with this, with this nonprofit is to, to use a lot of them for healing veterans, especially the PTSD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was always, always, I thought it was always about writing them. And then she told me that most of the, the PTSD, especially for veterans is just about putting the veteran in some kind of enclosure with the horse and having them interact with the horse. And it's mm-hmm. all just about that. Yep. Um, and that to me made sense once I heard it, but I was just like, I'm surprised I never thought of it like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, most like yeah, a lot probably... of equine therapy isn't about riding. It's just about yeah. like, yeah, interacting with the horse. With the horse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Like, I just didn't even think about it, you know? It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, if you had a billion dollars that you couldn't yeah. spend on yourself or your family, uh, what problem would you try and solve? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um uh, right. I've, I've just got this image in my head of Dr. Evil. One billion dollars. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I wouldn't even know where to start. There's so many problems. Um, wow. That's the sad thing. It's like there are so many problems, right? Um, I know, right? It's it's And it's such a str- – it's like such a hypothetical – Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's and the hard thing that people usually come up with is that like you can people either usually focus on the environment, people, or animals, and even mm-hmm. within those three categories, there are millions of opportunities that each probably require a billion dollars to yeah. get anywhere close to fixing. You know, like you know, I was talking to my girlfriend about like the the horse trade in America. You know, it's, it's illegal to you know, use horses for this meat in this country, but it's not illegal to sell them for meat. And so a lot of horses are sold to Mexico and Canada where they're either, you know, slaughtered and then shipped off to other parts of the world that consume that type of meat or, or used there. And that's like, you know, I, I asked her, I was like, just to, you know, there are thousands of horses a week that are bought and slaughtered for this purpose. And like, in order to create a system to, you know, stop that from happening. It would take an immense amount of land and people and resources that is just like unseen to this day. That's kind of crazy to me. Right. Yeah. Um, So you can think about that. We'll get back to it. Um, Is there a story that your family or parents like to tell about you when you're a kid? Um, Honestly, I don't really have a relationship with my family. Hmm. So no, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. There's a reason I yeah I I live on the uh, the other side of the world to my family. You Is that something that you want to talk about? No, I mean, like we can talk about it. Let's let's. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just, no, I'm just no. curious. Yeah, no. I mean, I just um, I I just figure it out as a young adult that it was better for my mental health to have. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a big geographical distance between mm. my family and myself. Mm. Do you ever go back to Australia? I haven't been back in a really long time. Mm. Do you think it's because of that trauma and that associated? Oh, yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. And what Last part of Australia did you grow up in? 
I grew up on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Oh, so near near Brisbane. Yeah. 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 Hmm. What part? Uh, I'm from Mermaid Beach. Mermaid Beach. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually yeah. know a lot about Brisbane. I did a, I did a bunch of projects there, um, so I was just curious. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's well, we can save that as a uh, unless you want to talk about it now. One of the the, the things we can talk about the next time, but yeah, that can um, be a next time thing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and just just out of curiosity, is is that something that you like? Are you open to potentially fixing things with your family, or is it kind of a you you view the door as closed and you're trying to just become different or like where, where does that kind of land with you right now yeah i tried like a lot of i mean i tried limited contact i mean i tried yeah. I, I left australia when i was 23 um mm-hmm. and so that was kind of my biggest so that was my dog um, <laughs> when i was yeah no when i was younger like just getting as far away from my family as possible was always a, a huge motivator for me um for for moving and traveling and so when I did that, um, I tried, you know, limited contact. I, I, I did go back and visit and, you know, all those kind of things. But it just inevitably the same problems just continued to arise. And the last time I was home, um, which was, yeah, about seven or eight years ago now, I think it was maybe even a little more. Mm-hmm. And I had attempted, you know, again, to sort of go out of limited contact to, you know, make the effort to go there and, you know, try and figure things out um i had two separate incidences that really made me once and for all understand that it was a lost cause and Mm -hmm. it was something that wasn't going to be beneficial to me uh, my well-being um as much as you know deep down everybody wants that to work out everybody wants the you know the fairy tale wonderful family scenario the loving supportive family unit but the reality is a lot of people don't have that. And I kind of had to stop fantasizing about how I wanted things to be and accept how they really were. Um, but that mm. said, I've got really, really incredible people in my life. Um, I have an adopted family now. I lovingly refer to them as my adopted family and they refer to me as their adopted daughter. And I've That's got this incredible group of friends all around the world that are the family that I've chosen for myself. So, I love that, and I'm yeah. I'm very happy to hear that. So, yeah, and I'm and I'm sorry that 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 that's uh, happened to you. And unfortunately, it's not the only time I've heard that. It's actually I think I think it's something that is more common than we think. And people are just finally, as a society, being open to talking about it. I think for the long time there was a stigma around like not being near your family and not being close to family and not listening to family. And I think that stigma is dying away. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, because yeah. like I, I think I've been. I've told some close friends recently that have some pretty toxic relationships with their own family. It's like, look, like this is a choice. You don't have to listen to them. You don't even have to go and see them. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a choice. Um, so yeah, actually that, that's, that's something I will ask not, not to, and you can pass this question if you'd like, but if, if there's someone listening out there who might have a toxic relationship with their family, what, what advice would you have for them? Um, in terms of maybe trying to move on or walk away. Yeah, uh, for me, it's, you don't have to tolerate abuse in any form from anybody. And just because that person is your quote-unquote family member, it doesn't excuse their behaviour if it's having a detrimental effect on your physical, mental well-being. Yeah. And, 
you also have to ask the question if a friend or, or an other person, just a random person in your life treated you the way your family member treated you, would you still have them in your life? Don't put them on a pedestal or don't make exceptions or don't make excuses for their behavior just because they're quote unquote your family. Because as I said earlier, not everybody has that, that fantasy, that a quote unquote perfect relationship and you don't have to pretend that you do either. Yeah. And it's hard. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, but it's really, really hard in society. And it's something that I've struggled with my whole life. And there's a lot mm. of shame that goes. Oh, with Tom. It's, and um, it's, it's very, very difficult to work through. Um, but it is possible. It's not easy, but it is possible. And you can choose to have healthy, fulfilling, mutually beneficial, transparent, authentic relationships with wonderful people. You don't mm. have to tolerate abuse. Thank you for that. I think yeah. that'll help, hopefully help a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I think I'll, I'll just ask then one last question to hopefully help you kind of you know, wrap everything up that we've talked about. And this has been, I, again, thank you again. This has been an amazing conversation and I hope that people mm-hmm. find this uh, useful and I hope that you can also use this as, as a tool for people that reach out to you and want to get to understand, you know, how to get started or how to, you know, cope with this or how to figure out that. I hope this becomes a resource you get to use as well. Um, but if there was a single push notification, like a notification that you could send to everyone's phone in a given area, uh, where would it be and what would it say? <laughs> I took all the notifications off my phone after I watched that documentary, the, what is it, the social experiment or whatever? Oh, it's yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I don't have notifications either, but I'm just, you know, imagine it was like an, an emergency alert, like tornado coming, like they had to see it, like you would still see yours anyways. Mm-hmm. What, 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 would you, what would you want to tell people? Uh, it, it sounds cliche, but the first thing that kind of comes to my head is just, you are enough. Um, or, yeah, yeah. Or be yourself, like what, whoever or whatever that is. Be who mm-hmm. you truly are, not who others think or want you to be. Yeah, thank you. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, well, uh, anything you'd like to plug uh, or have people check out, uh, obviously I'll link your Instagram below. So mm-hmm. make sure to go check out Peppa's work around the world. Um, mm-hmm. Anything else you want to go take a look at? Uh, yeah, my Insta and my website, peppalama.com. Awesome. And everything will be linked below in the show notes. Yep. Um, and then Peppa and I get to talk on lo- offline after this and <laughs> we'll begin to start privately planning the next one. And uh, for everyone else still listening at this point, I hope you have a fantastic time uh, listening to me give the outro right now. I hope you all enjoyed this conversation between myself and Peppa. You can find Peppa online at her website, which is Peppa Llama, Llama spelled the normal way, um, dot com or at her instagram which is also peppa llama that's p-e-p-a-l-l-a-m-a and as always you can find me online at rob Achenkloss or at rob is lost i hope you all have a fantastic and wonderful rest of your day goodbye <laughs>